Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 28 and 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as having one, he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. We are going to continue our discussion today of the red letters of Jesus that we've been really continuing from the beginning of the year. We have talked about the, uh, the background of Jesus. We've talked about the parables of Jesus. We've talked about the miracles of Jesus. But what I want to transition now into is the doctrine of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. We've, we've already covered this in, in many ways, just in the, in the other lessons that we've had, because you can't, you can't read the red letters without reading what Jesus teaches on a particular subject. But what I want to do is I want to start drilling down into specific teachings of Jesus. And we're going to, we're going to see some, some things here that I hope will, will encourage us, will challenge us, will help us then to, to, to live closer to Jesus, and also to help us be prepared to, to talk with other people. There's going to be some, some of these studies that we're going to look at that are going to be hard sayings. Jesus had some hard sayings. Uh, the people of his day said that to him. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Uh, at one point in time, his, dis- his disciples will say of a certain teaching that Jesus says, he says, well, if that's the case, how can we, how can we follow that because of the paradigms that they had, the mindset that they had about these teachings of Jesus? And sometimes we may have those same mindsets. We may see some of the things of Jesus as being almost impossible. But the one thing we know about God is God never gives us a command that he knows we can't fulfill. He never gives us obligations or he never gives us requirements that we can't fulfill. If the kingdom of God were only reserved for red-headed people, a lot of you would be out. But that's not the case, right? The kingdom of God is not reserved for, for specific characteristics of physical traits, but it's reserved for those who are willing to hear the words of Jesus, to write them into their hearts, and to strive to live them in their lives. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. So if you want to turn your bulletins over to the back, we're going to, we're going to begin our series of discussions about the teachings of Jesus to just first to understand what was it about Jesus' teaching that made it so astonishing. You, you saw in this passage in the Scripture reading that when Jesus, Jesus finished speaking, the people were astonished at his speaking because he taught how? Not as the scribes and Pharisees, right? He didn't teach like the teachers of the day. Uh, a lot of times we can, we can turn on the television or we can turn on the radio or we can get on the internet and we can listen to the teachers of the day. And you can get the, the, the gamut from one end to the other of different types of teachers. But one of the things about Jesus that, that made him stand out was he was different from everybody else. It wasn't, that he, it wasn't that he used language that was different from everybody else, but it was the way he challenged people. And that's what we want to look at today is what was it about Jesus' teachings that were astonishing? Um, I would love to have been there when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. 
I would love to have been there whenever he was, whenever he was um, speaking to the, the rich young ruler. And you think about the situations of Jesus' life, how we would have loved to have been there, just to see not only the words that he used. Because, you know, words are, are part of communication. But I've, I've seen statistics that show that as up, upwards of 80 to 90% of our communication is facial and hand gestures, is our, is our body language that we communicate. And you think about how it's difficult sometimes to capture that in the red letters. But one of the things we know about Jesus was that he spoke with compassion because he was moved with compassion for those people that he interacted with. And so we want to look here at what gives Jesus' word authority. What was it that gave Jesus the authority that the scribes and Pharisees didn't have? And the first thing we have to notice about Jesus is his identity. Jesus had an identity that the scribes and Pharisees could never have and would never even claim to have. Turn with me. Hold your finger in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, and let's go over. This is a passage we've already looked at in our red letters, but I want to go over to John chapter one, and I want to remind ourselves of why Jesus was able to speak with authority. This is a passage that you're going to be familiar with, but it's one I want us to to get in our head. John chapter one, verse one. We can probably say it together without even looking. Right in the beginning was the Word. What is a word? The Greek word logos there means a, a, a concept that is, that is expressed through uh, verbally, right? It's something that is spoken, but it has behind it the idea of logic and of reason and of truth. And so when we see here, when, when, when this person of the Godhead is described as the word, he's described as the logical expression of the will and the, and the mind of God. This word's identified here as being with God in the beginning. That means he is what? It means he has all the attributes of God, right? If you go back, if you go back to the beginning of everything, the beginning of time, the beginning of matter, the beginning of the universe, what's there in the beginning? It's only divine, right? It's only supernatural because there is nothing material until God says let there be light. But this word was there with God in the beginning. And so what does he have then? He has the divine characteristics of God. He has omniscience. What does that mean? He knows all, right? He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? And he's omnipresent. That means he is everywhere and at all times. He is eternal. That's another characteristic of, of divinity. It is eternal. It has no beginning and it has no end. And he is separate from mankind in, in that at this point in time, he's not physical. He's spiritual. All these characteristics were characteristics that the Word had in, it, that made him up. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So we see here that the Word has the same characteristics of the, as, in the Godhead as the Father and the Spirit. Notice what else it says. He was with God. He was in. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Now think about that for a second. What John is saying here is that everything that we see, everything that we can touch and feel and know and taste and understand of the material world 
was made by the Word. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because again, we go back to Genesis. And how did God create light? God said, let there be light. He spoke into existence. And it is the Word here that was the Creator. The Word created. So now we begin to see the authority that the Word has. The Word has the authority to create. The Word has the authority to speak material things into existence. You go on down through the passage. Just skip on down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Now you, you take the creator of the universe and you humiliate, you humble him, you condescend him down to the creation, right? The creator of the universe has now become part of the created. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. That means we could see him, not, not you and me personally here, but the mankind could see this flesh. It came down and it walked among men. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is, was he who, of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Notice what verse uh, 17 says. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through. And this is the first time we see the word equated with Jesus. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This passage tells us that Jesus Christ was and is the Word of God. It also tells us that He is the only begotten of the Father. And so from this passage we learn that Jesus is the, the, the Word of God and He is the Son of God. Now does that give Him any authority then? <laughs> well, I mean, I've used this several times through this series, but you remember the old E.F. Hutton commercial, right? When E.F. Hutton talks, what's people do? People listen, right? This is true to the utmost with Jesus. When Jesus talks, when we read the red letters, we need to listen. But in the days of Jesus, that was just as true when he spoke the words as they are now when they're written down for us. And so as he's speaking to these people, as he's teaching the multitudes, as he is speaking with the scribes and Pharisees, as he is dealing with or speaking to these people who he's going to heal... For them to understand the authority by which he spoke was, was critical. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, I've got noted here. We don't have to turn over that, but I will remind you. That's, that's a time whenever God was speaking to his disciples. Actually, let's turn over there because my Bible's going to turn me there. The wind's helping me turn pages here, and it's going to get me there. Matthew chapter 17. I think I've got the wrong passage down. Oh, it's verse 5, not verse 25. Sorry. This is the story of the Mount Transfiguration. You remember Jesus goes up on the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John with him up there, and he's transfigured before them. His appearance changes. And he meets with two individuals. He meets with Moses and Elijah. And Luke tells us that they're talking there about his death that's about to, to, to happen. And when, when uh, this is wrapping up, Peter here, he just, Peter, he's always the one to speak, but he doesn't always know what to say. He says, Lord, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I want you to notice here what happens. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus. Who is speaking? This is God the Father, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he says. Hear him. Now he's speaking specifically to the apostles at this point in time, but the context can be expanded to us. When Jesus speaks, we listen. And so the first thing we need to understand about Jesus is that he is the word, the son of God. And so when he speaks, he has authority to speak. But what about... What about the words that he had? Where did the words come from that he, that he spoke? Now, Jesus tells us that the words that he spoke came from the Father. I've got some passages noted here, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to probably skim through some of these. But in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus he tells, he tells the people that are gathered there that the words that he speak were given to him by the Father. And so now we understand that when Jesus speaks, he's not only speaking by his own authority, but he's speaking the words that have been authorized by the Father. I don't know about you, but even, even as powerful as Jesus' authority is, when the Father puts his stamp of approval behind it, that just, for lack of a better term, that doubles down on the authority, doesn't it? And so Jesus here is speaking what the Father gave him to speak. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 1. This is an interesting introduction to a book because unlike most of the other books in the Bible where the, the author introduces himself and he tells a little bit of background about why he's writing, this author just dives right off into the point. He gives us the premise from the beginning. God who... I started to quote this from the King James. I'll read it from the New King James. God at sundry times and in divers' manners. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the, prophet, to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who bring the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Who does God speak to mankind through today? God the Father speaks through God the Son, through Jesus. So if we want to know anything about the will of God, if we want to know anything about the mind of God, we need to turn to the Bible. We need to turn to the words of God, to the words that Jesus spoke and the words that his, that were his inspired apostles spoke. So secondly, we see that the words that Jesus spoke came by the authority of the Father. Third thing we need to understand about the words of Jesus that give them authority is that they give that they were words that had spirit to them. They had life to them. They, they meant things. I don't know if you, if those of you who are able to watch our, our Wednesday night devotional, but that was one of the, the, that was the main point of that. Is our words mean things, right? When we speak, our words have value to them. They have meaning to them. And Jesus' words had spirit and they had life associated with them. Um, we saw that in John chapter 1. But John points out there that the words that Jesus had, the light that he brought into the world was the life of men. The words that he spoke brought life to mankind. But in John chapter 6, this is where Jesus makes this point that probably the strongest of all. Here he's, he's brought a difficult teaching. Now, earlier on I told you that there's going to be some difficult teachings that Jesus is going to bring. 
One of them has to do with uh, a passage where he speaks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And we have talked a little bit about this in previous lessons, but let's just, let's just be clear on this. Jesus is not condoning cannibalism here, but what he's speaking about is this, he's going to make the point that the things he's saying are, are spiritual. And for a Christian, our spiritual life comes from Christ. It comes from His teachings. It comes from His, from, from his presence. It comes from the strength that He gives us. And so in essence, what we can see is there our spiritual strength, the spiritual life that we have come from being partakers of the flesh and blood of Jesus, His spiritual teachings and His spiritual nature. But He says this in John chapter 6, in verse 63. He says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the, pro- the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. One thing I want. One of the things that we. One of the reasons why we have been doing this red letter series is for us to learn and appreciate and to love Jesus more. And I hope through this series that you have come to really love the red letters. There's going to be, there's going to be some of them, I, I, I'm going to tell you right up front, there's going to be some of them you're probably going to wrestle with. When you read those, you're probably going to have questions about them. We can, we can study those out in a devotional time period. But if we can learn to appreciate the fact that Jesus' words are spirit and they are life, they invigorate us, they energize us, they spiritually motivate us. And most importantly, they give us hope of a home in heaven. That gives me encouragement to be in them and to want to know them more and want to write them into my heart and to study them and to teach them to other people so that we can understand that Jesus' words have power in them and they have strength and they are spirit and they are life. So we've seen so far... And again, I apologize. I'm kind of going through these verses quickly because uh, I just, frankly, I've kind of gotten out of the, out of the practice of preaching to an, uh, an audience. And I've gotten used to just sitting talking to a camera. And I, I actually am enjoying this, but I'm talking more than, I'm, than I usually do on these points. But I, what I really want to get to is the last points here. So next we see uh, Jesus' words. Um, they're substantiated, substantiated by the miracles they did. And, and this is something that we brought out when we were studying about the miracles of Jesus. One of the points that we made there was the reason that Jesus performed miracles was not to make people healthy. It wasn't simply to make uh, blind, the blind see and to make the, the, the lame walk. And it wasn't necessarily to, just to help the, 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 the apostles get off the Sea of Galilee. The purpose of his miracles were to confirm the words that he spoke, to confirm who he was and what he was teaching. And we see that uh, we see that played out in passages such as Mark chapter one, where Jesus here is is preaching and he's teaching, and the people are astonished at his preaching. They're astonished at the things that he's teaching, but they are also um, this astonishment is reinforced by the things that he's doing, by the actions and the, the miracles that he's performing. Listen to this. This is a little bit longer reading, but I want you to listen to this. This is Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Then they came into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. That's almost verbatim for what Matthew wrote down, right? He taught as one having authority and not the scribes. Now there was a certain man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? What's doctrine? Teaching, right? What new teaching is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. You notice here that it was the miracles of Jesus that confirmed and gave added authority to the words that he was speaking, to the doctrine that he was teaching. That's why he did what he did, was to give authority to and to confirm his identity and the words that he spoke. And lastly, we see here that Jesus' teachings were to challenge men's paradigms. When I say paradigm, I want you to think about your road map. Everybody have a road map in your head of the way things are in life? You know, you think about, you think about the the uh, the way that you the way that you view the world the way that you view what's going on in the world right now each one of us has our own paradigm our own viewpoint of how the world is and how it should be and Jesus came to challenge those paradigms he came to challenge us to expand our mind and to think about things not just from my own perspective but to think about it from God's perspective Think about, you think about some of the, the ways that Jesus did this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. Wait a second. When you were born, the angels sang, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. How could Jesus say, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth, but a sword? That kind of maybe breaks some paradigms in our brain, doesn't it? Because we see Jesus as the prince of peace. But what's he talking about here? In that particular passage, he's talking about the fact that the gospel is going to divide families. It's going to bring division in families because there's going to be some people who are going to accept the identity of Christ and the salvation that comes that he offers through his, God's grace. And there's going to be some people who don't. And he says specifically that there's going to be a father that's going to be pitted against the son. There's going to be a mother pitted against the daughter. There's going to be a, a mother-in-law pitted against her daughter-in-law. Why is that the case? Because that's what the world does when it's faced with Jesus' authority. There are some people who accept it. And there are some people who turn away from it. They say, oh, that's foolishness. But you see how it breaks that paradigm in our mind sometimes. We have to think about Jesus from a different perspective. How about this one? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. How many of you like to be last in line when you're going through the line at the, at the fellowship meal? Now, it's, it's, the blessing in this congregation is we usually have enough food for everybody, and it's usually the good food still left at the end as well as at the beginning, right? But that's not the way man thinks. Man doesn't always think about, well, the best is at last. The best is at the end. We're going to put the greatest people at the end. Why is that the case? Because we don't always have a servant's mind. We don't always think about the, way, the, the world the way that God thinks about the world. You know the way God thinks about the world? For God so loved the world while it was his enemy... While they were enemies with the world, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God gave the best when we were the worst. 
So Jesus came to break those paradigms. He came to break those viewpoints that man has. Here's another one. This was a hard one for the Jews to swallow, and I don't think they ever got it. Jesus, he standing before Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples, my, my, my men, my people would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. What was the paradigm of the day? That the Messiah was going to come back. He was going to be a military leader. And he was going to free the Jews from Roman rule. And Jesus didn't fit that paradigm. And what did the Jews do with Jesus then? They took the Jesus that didn't fit their paradigm and they put him on a cross with the help of the Romans. So you see how Jesus, he came to break down those paradigms. I'll tell you what he's going to do in these teachings. He's going to break our paradigms too. There's going to be some teachings in there as we go through these red letters that are going to break our hearts. I hope they do. Because that's why Jesus came. He came to break our hearts and to remold them in the image of God. He's going to tell us things like seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, food and drink and clothing are going to be added to you. But you know what I worry about? I worry about clothing and food and drink for me and my family. Why do we do that? Because we can't break our hearts. We haven't broken our hearts. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to break down those paradigms. So real quickly, I want to just, I want to just take some time to whet your appetite for what we're going to talk about. And we're going to take the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to try to give you a real brief summarization of the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he gathered with his disciples. They're sitting on the mountainside. And he sits down there with them and he teaches them what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like and what citizens of the kingdom are going to look like. And you remember he starts off in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what the citizen of the kingdom is going to look like? He's going to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, what the, you know what the citizen of the kingdom is going to be a partaker of? Mourning. Mourning over what? Mourning over sin. But he's going to be comforted. How is he going to be comforted? Because he's going to have his sins washed away in the blood of Christ. And he goes on through those beatitudes, and he lays them all out. And each one of those are characteristics of the citizen of the kingdom. That's not characteristics of, of, of just one person. Those are all characteristics that a citizen of the kingdom should have within themselves. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you. Think, talk about breaking paradigms. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. How many of you get excited whenever you get persecuted for righteousness' sake? When you do the right thing and you get punished for it. That's not the natural reaction of mankind. But Jesus says there's a blessing that comes in it. He describes what that citizen of the kingdom is going to look like. And then he gives us a mission statement. He said, you are the salt of the earth. He describes what happens to salt when it loses its flavor. It's good for nothing. You've got to throw it out. Throw it out in the street. And people are going to walk on it. But if we are truly the salt of the earth, we're going to bring seasoning to life. We're going to bring, we're going to bring preservation to light. We're going to be people who other people want to be around and they're attracted to. He says, you are the light of the world. Satan's cell on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candlestick and put it under a basket. Right? Hide it under a basket. No. That comes from Jesus' teachings. Because he wants us to be the light of the world. And so he says, if you don't remember anything else out of the lesson, let me give you this one. This is, this is our mission statement, church. Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's the citizen of the kingdom's mission statement. He's going to go on throughout the, the sermon to speak about the fact that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. That was a tall order in the minds of the Jews of the day. But Jesus says we can do it. He's going to break down those, those teachings that people had heard from old. You've heard it said of old, or you've heard it said to those of old, right? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Love your, uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. He goes through each one of those, and what he's doing there is he's showing us that we've got to elevate our thinking. We can't think the way the world thinks anymore. We can't think the way that we've been taught by the world. We've got to change that mindset. He ends chapter 5 with these words, Therefore you shall be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's a maximum statement of Jesus. Everybody ever got your mind wrapped around that one yet? It's a tough one. And we'll, we'll wrestle with that as we go through this. Chapter 6, he goes into how we act. The actions that we, that we do. Don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Don't pray before men to be seen by them. We talked about this the last couple weeks. Don't use vain repetition. Don't just repeat the same prayer over and over again. But here's how you pray. And he gives the model of prayer there for them. He talks about the way we are to conduct ourselves in the world. Don't lay up treasures in heaven. He says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or you hold the one, despise the other. No, no one can serve God and stuff. He says mammon there, but that's essentially what he's talking about. And so we've got to change the way we think about our possessions, change the way we think about the, the material aspects of our life. Chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, again, one of the maximum statements of Jesus. Therefore, don't worry about your life. You might have perfected that one yet. It's a struggle, isn't it? He gives us the recipe at the end. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's something that, that I have to remember almost on a minute-by-minute minute basis. But it's truth because it comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Son of God. Chapter 7 then, he talks about the way that we need to control our attitudes towards others. Don't judge others. Judge not that you be not judged. For with whatever judgment you judge, it's going to be rendered back to you. Don't use harsh judgment towards other people. He doesn't say that all judgment is bad because he gives the, the example there that if we've got a beam in our eye and a speck in our brother's eye, that we've got to get the beam out so we can help the brother get the speck out of his eye. There has to be some judgment involved in that. But we can't be harsh about our judgment. And we've got to be fair towards ourselves and other people. We've got to treat ourselves the way we would want other people to treat us. And that brings us down to chapter 7, verse 12, right? The golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules, right? No, that's, not, that's the way the world treats the golden rule. But Jesus says in verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is helping us understand that the way we treat other people is the way that we would want to be treated. He gives us some 
He gives us some, in, some, some instructions here on obedience. Enter by the narrow gate. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And just to kind of wrap it up here then, he shows us what obedience looks like. And I think this is an important lesson from the, from the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a good place to end here. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, verse 24, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You notice the difference between these two men? They both heard. But you could probably interject something else here that Jesus would say from time to time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? What does that mean? It means that one man heard what Jesus said and said, you know what, I'll do that another day. I'll obey that command another day. I'll change my heart another day. And Jesus said, that's building on sand. He heard it and he did not do it. And he calls that foolishness. But the one who heard and obeyed, the one who heard and did, was the wise man. I want to ask you today. This can be applicable to our women here as well. Are you a wise man? Are you a wise woman? Are you a foolish woman? Are you a foolish man? Am I a wise man or am I a foolish man? That's what it comes down to. Do I hear the words of Jesus and do I do them or do I simply say, you know what, I'll put that off for another day. I'll defer that to another day. Jesus didn't really mean that. He couldn't have meant that because it doesn't fit my paradigm. How many times do we do that? We, we argue with Jesus because we know we're right and we know Jesus is wrong. We all do it from time to time. We just, we've got to figure out when we're doing that to break that, that habit and learn to submit ourselves to Jesus. Jesus, before he left this earth, he told his disciples that they were to go and they were to preach the good news to every creature under heaven. Could you imagine if they said, Jesus surely didn't mean that. You know where we would be today? I can guarantee you we wouldn't be here. But those disciples took that serious. They, they believed what Jesus said and they obeyed the command. And the gospel was preached all around the world. All throughout time. Even down to September 6th, 2020 at Common Bond Wedding Venue in Chadwick, Missouri. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. He told his disciples that they were to preach that message and in conjunction with that message they were to preach a message of repentance. You know, that's a paradigm shift for some people. Because there's a lot of people that live in the world that don't even understand what repentance means. They don't understand what the necessity of repentance is. Why would, what does that word mean? It means to turn from what you're doing and turn to God. Turn from those things that are contrary to the will of God and to turn to Him. He said that repentance and remission of sin be preached in His name. That's Jesus' name. Where does remission of sins come from? What is that? 
Well, we sang a song earlier about having our sins washed away. Ananias answered that question when he was speaking to Paul in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. When he said, Paul, what are you waiting for? He preached the, the gospel to Paul. He said, Paul, what are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we wash away our sins, Paul? Paul knew it. He needed to get up and he needed to be baptized. Have you done that today? If you haven't, I want to encourage you. We're going to sing a song of, of encouragement. And if you haven't obeyed the gospel, I want to encourage you today. If you, if you know the truth of God's Word, you know that Jesus has authority in your life and you haven't obeyed that authority, if you know that you need to turn away from sin, and particularly if you know you need to be washed in the waters of baptism, we're going to encourage you to, uh, to respond to the invitation. Feel free to come to the front or just make your needs known as we sing this. And uh, don't leave here today apart from the body of Christ. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.